the Northwest Arkansas Investing Podcast, episode 18. This is Saturday, July 8th, 2023. We have a special guest on, my dad, Tim Stanley, local business owner for 26, going on 27 years at TDS IT in Lowell, 203 South Bloomington Street. And we are going to get rolling with some questions. We're going to get into life stories. Really, anything and everything is on the table here. Any advice, we're going to ping them with questions and see what kind of knowledge we can dig out of them. Some of it may be real estate related. Most of it's probably just going to be business and life related. So all of these are transferable to real estate. So with no further ado, my dad, Tim Stanley. Tim, would you just give us a quick, I know you've done this in the past, like a synopsis of you come into Arkansas, your past and where you were in Illinois, what you're doing there and how you got to Arkansas. Yeah, I played uh, football at the University of Illinois. I had a real good career there and had a great time. When I got out of college, I needed to get a job because I blew out my neck and my shoulder. So the pro avenue was closed abruptly. Yeah. I got a job with Eastman Kodak selling copiers. I thought I was going to be selling film or something like that, but I was down in Atlanta interviewing and essentially nobody Kodak would come to Northwest Arkansas. So Kodak had just bought the IBM copier base and they were looking for young guns, guys your age, maybe a little bit younger, right out of college to come and open up and take care of these clients in this area. I started with Kodak in 88. Got here January 1st of 1989 to Northwest Arkansas. So I was actually here before the Interstate 49 who even went north of Fayetteville. I went to school at the University of Tulsa and played football over there. But I grew up here, obviously, and I was gone for a long time. I visited a bunch of my freshman year and then it just kind of my life ended up being over there more. My first time I visited when it turned into... Is it three or four lanes? Four, However many. It four, used to be two. Three, three. And I came back and I was losing my mind. Like, how do I drive on this? Yeah. I would call it 540 and people would be like, what is that? You're new. Yeah, like, yeah, get out of my town. Yeah. What is this? So you got here. You were started with Kodak. How did Xerox come into play? Well, with Kodak, I did really well. But then these expanded territories didn't really work out like they thought with IBM. So I moved me to Memphis. Mm-hmm. And we were there for three years. I had a short hiatus trying to sell chemistry blood analyzers, which was a complete train wreck. Kodak hired me back, and I was the national account manager handling Office Depot with a team of Kodak executives. And we were able to take Office Depot down in Fort Lauderdale area, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 2.8 million and going south to over 12.8 million and going north in a matter of about 24 months. So that got me on the radar. I had a lot of good success down there. And then your mom got a job with MCI at the time. This was before Bernie Evers crashed the whole thing. She got promoted within MCI to handle the J.B. Hunt and Tyson accounts. So she moved up here a year before I could move up. And we got back here. And what happened was Kodak was then going, once I got up here, the rumor mill was going that Kodak was going to sell their copier division. And I didn't want to relocate again. Most of corporate America is a two or three year stint and you have to move two or three years and climb the corporate ladder. You have to move. 
And I decided that we had jumped through too many hoops to get back to Northwest Arkansas, where she was from, and we were ready to, to start a family. So I made the decision to try to find something local. Mm-hmm. And literally one of my competitors recommended. When he says your mom, he's talking to me, Zach Stanley. Yes. <laughs> your mom had been working at a, a copier company before I met her. And the Xerox guy had walked in there and said that we're looking for somebody. Would you guys like to pick up our line? And Richard and Shirley Lightfoot said, no, but you need to talk to Tim Stanley. He's a Kodak guy. So anyway, the Xerox guy found me and, and 20, almost 27 years ago, we signed up literally the month you were born is the month I told your mother, I was quitting my six figure Kodak job and going out on my own with no base salary, no benefits and no company car. So I know exactly how old my company is because it's always when your birthday. Yep. So 27 years. Now the month you were born, October of 96, I started TDS. What convincing our conversations took place with Tina to, obviously that's a challenge to leave a job that's paying you really well. That's probably pretty comfortable. Take a chance on yourself. Well, I caught her at a weak moment. She was eight or nine. <laughs> she was eight or nine months pregnant uh, with Zachary. So, so if you're gonna start a business, get your wife pregnant, <laughs> your wife. and then tell her on month eight. <laughs> I felt like what corporate America does. If you don't know what you're doing, what corporate America does, and Brandon, you're gonna see this. It teaches you a certain level of discipline. You learn a trade. You learn your skills. I had eight years with Eastman Kodak. The first year was almost spent in training up in Rochester. Mm-hmm. So training and learning and discipline, and I felt like I had learned my trade. And then I looked at what the previous agency owner had made the year before, and I knew he wasn't working that much. And I was like, if he's making that and not working nearly as hard as I think I can work, I'm going to step into that and take it over. Mm-hmm. So I inherited all of five clients. <laughs> so you're saying basically Xerox came to you and said, hey, we want you to have a franchise here in Northwest Arkansas. The guy that was currently there had five clients that he had retained before he stepped on out and you took over only five clients. Correct. And I've kept some of them has shut their doors, but I maintained all of them for over 20 years. And then we've, we've grown the business now to where we have several hundred clients and well, several thousand pieces of equipment out there. What does the book building look like? Like, I mean, are you, are you cold calling people? Are you walking into the office that, you know, uses printers or? Well, back in that day, what you did is you relied on the brand. Xerox, you got to look, go back 27 years ago. Xerox was much more dominant name in the imaging sector, which is what they call our business. And I knew how to sell production because Kodak only had big equipment. I only sold $50,000, $100,000 digital presses at the time. When he says production equipment, to, to those out there that don't understand what that means, you have your normal copiers and printers like sit at your office desk and print off five pieces of paper every year. And then you have production printing, which is like for big offices that are printing hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of sheets. And this is the equipment that gets into 10, 20, 30, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So. When he says production equipment, that's what he means. The printing, all the print shops, the Kinko's and the mom and pop presses, I always like selling to them because it was always an equation of how much money can I make you. Mm -hmm. 
when you sell a copier to a business, it's always part of their expense. When you're selling print for pay, when you're selling big production equipment, you're typically showing people how to make more money, a print shop owner, or if it's an in-house print shop, you're showing them how they can bring work that they're outsourcing to Kansas City or Dallas or St. Louis, bring those dollars back into the business and do something else with them. Mm-hmm. Plus have better quality, better control, better confidentiality, turnaround time and accuracy of your documents. I want to go back to when you quit that corporate job and started your own business here. What were some of the first things that you were thinking about when you took over the business? What did day-to-day look like? How did you kind of form? Did you have a mortgage at that point? Over on on Township and Greg, I started off in 500 square feet complex that has the subway in it. Okay. First thing I had to figure out was what was I going to call the business? Yeah. So TDS or Total Document Solutions came about literally because I was such a knucklehead. I had a guy from Xerox in about a $5,000 suit with cufflinks across the table from me. And I knew I was going to be a 1099, but I really didn't know what that meant. So he uh, basically slides the contract over in front of me that I'd never seen. And the first line item on there is the name of your business is and thus forth henceforth you will be called this and xerox corporation will be called that and and so i looked down and thank god i had um, i'm big enough i've always had to have my shirts tailored so i had my initials on my arm sleeve and i looked down at my arm and i put down tds inc <laughs> and then nine weeks later we came up with total document solutions so <laughs> uh, so later i figured out every rascal in my imaging segment in northwest arkansas and in the country everybody's three letters mm-hmm. so i wish i would have come up with more of a hagen sort of name but we use tds and now 15 years later we came up with tds it as the business started my like all the local printing companies name it's like tds dps pbs <laughs> cbs cbs systems I, I, solutions world copy world that's an outlier but like every competitor because i started out selling for my dad selling printers and it was all we got dps pbs tds like (laughs) (laughs) it was it was a little confusing Uh, pot pot yeah yeah the triple a triple a and they were only called triple a because back in the day yellow book advertising was key so they wanted to be at the they wanted, top. To be, they wanted to be the first one in the yellow pages. And now that's nothing, thank God. But yeah. a lot of what I did at first was just opening the door. So the first person I hired was a secretary. And get somebody to answer the phone, get my advertising in place. Luckily, because of the power, the trademark name of Xerox, we had people calling. There were certain gentlemen that had been here before, had been in retirement mode. He was at the end of his career, so he hadn't done much except churn his, some of his base. He didn't give me any files. He was somewhat disgruntled, so I just had to go knock on doors. I literally knocked on doors, and I did the burn. Everybody looks at TDS IT now and sees where we are. What they didn't see was Xerox pricing system used to be an old DOS-based black screen with keys, and you had to use the F keys on your computer to navigate. So being somewhat of an ADD, highly functional ADD adult male, I couldn't do that during the day. 
once Zach was born and we got into a routine, I would go up to the office every Thursday night after he went to bed. So from 10 o'clock until four or five in the morning, I would do pricing and do the proposals. Then I'd go run them out on Friday and then I'd follow up and create sales cycles Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then I'd do it again because yeah. I figured if I could get through Friday, I could recover on Saturday and Sunday was my thought. Mm -hmm. So I had years of doing that. And then I also, from a marketing standpoint, I went out and did a radio show. I got challenged by a, a guy. He was trying to buy, sell me radio ads. I go, nobody wants to hear radio. So he challenged me to do a talk radio program called Tips from the Pros. And I was right in front of Rush Limbaugh. So for four years, Every Thursday morning for an hour, I did a one-hour radio call-in talk show about copiers. <laughs> well, people are tuning in early. <laughs> well, I figured the only people that were probably listening were my competitors, but I always had this attitude of here I come, and if I'm not in the sales cycle, you should feel lucky, and if I am in the sales cycle, let's go. Yeah. So I just had that attitude. I don't really, copiers aren't that mysterious. And as I'm, we're not selling brain surgery drills. It's, I mean, we do try to solve problems and help people with their business so they can grow their business. Or I think something to be said here is the agonizing hours and brain power and time it took over years to go from five customers to, I mean, we're not even talking about developing the process and creating structure and having systems in place for, okay, now we're tracking this got sold and this topic can be transferred to real estate agents, investors going from, oh, I just want to buy my first property to have a hundred doors. I have 200 doors. And from the time you have your first property to the time you have 200 doors, your process and systems get transferred and get advanced so much. And so as you started in your business, I bet it the books were all you. There was no Christina, which Christina is my older sister, who's now the president of my dad's company, who does all the financing stuff. If you have 200 doors, you're not going to be doing most of the financing stuff yourself. You're going to need somebody to track and be your property manager. So there's a lot in between that time of just grinding out systems and processes and things of that nature. Was that correct? Yeah. I mean, you've got to get to a certain revenue in, tra in a traditional business. You have to get to a certain level of revenue to have enough infrastructure to support building people. And you have to have enough infrastructure to have a sales manager, a sales fleet and things of that nature. So there's a book I read later just a few years ago by Greg Crabtree called Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. And this thing opened up my eyes to the struggles that we had during our first several years because he talks about the first million, when you're going from zero to a million dollars a year in revenue, you do everything. But to grow beyond that is from a million to five million is what he calls the wasteland. You can't hardly get through the desert because you have to go back and get your supplies, which means you have to go back and get loans. You have to go back and get capital. And then recently we just went over five million. So now that we're at five million, now I have enough sustained monthly annuity revenue and we've got enough revenue coming in to have all the infrastructure that we need to grow the business. And that took a long time to get to. And that's where most businesses fell before they hit 5 million. 
because they just can't sustain the ebbs and flows of business uh, cash flow needs. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the real only career you've ever had is just sales, just sales, sales immediately. Is that your number one recommendation to somebody that doesn't really know what to do? If they, you know, if they don't know what to do, go to corporate America and learn how to sell. Yeah. When I was playing ball, everybody at the D1 level, they think they're going to go pro. And they brainwash you to think that. And I got caught up in all that. But I was smart enough to figure out if I got a degree in journalism, if I learned how to read and write, I could probably go and do anything later. That's what I did. But the other, probably the bigger thing is, I developed what I call my plan A strategy, which means there's no plan B. So you get focused on plan A, you don't get distracted by shiny things Mm -hmm. and other career paths, then plan A becomes really damn important. Yeah. And plan A is the plan. And when you have a wife and you have a child and you have a mortgage and then you have people working for you and they have those things. The model I was in before as a Xerox sales agent, I didn't have any sustained monthly annuity. So it was completely dependent upon what I sold that month. So every end of the month was like being at a car dealership. If we didn't get those deals signed in and get them credit approved, and if I didn't have that happen, I didn't get a check the next month on the 20th. And you want to talk about getting motivated? You want to talk about putting the clothes on somebody? You want to like, I need this. And I can't tell you how many times, like one of the accounts I inherited was Harps Foods Mm -hmm. and their general office. And over the years, I'm just so thankful to Harps because they don't know it. I was calm and cool in front of them. But if they didn't sign that order, I didn't know how I was going to pay the rent. And the bad thing about that sort of system is that pressure is, is that if they signed it, on the 31st and I didn't get it in and say I, if they signed it on the first of the month, that means I didn't get paid over 45, 50 days later. If they signed on the 31st, I got paid in 15 to 20 days. So I was under that sort of pressure for over 20 years. And that gets you very focused on sales and marketing and closing techniques. We have since changed our business model to where we are now doing the service of the supplies and the financing. And now we own commercial property and things are a lot more relaxed on the sales push. It's a sales marketing. Is sales still the primary aspect of your business? Like if you had to put it in percents, like what percent is the repairs and IT? It's the third. It's It's the third. Okay. Well, and and IT is starting to grow. We're probably five, 10% of our business, but that is what is going to be the thing that grows as the you guys, you try to anticipate where the hockey puck is mm-hmm. and you're working on your pursuit angles. Yes, sir. Football analogy. There's no cliff dive for paper. Everybody thinks everything's going paperless. There's paper even on this table. There's certain printing applications that will always be there, but IT, voice over IP phone systems, help desk support, managed IT support, digital signage, all that sort of stuff. That's where we're heading. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's a great path. I use all of those things right now. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, so did you feel like a lot of your discipline came from growing up or breeded from back against the wall? I've got to put food on the table kind of mentality. Initially, it was fear of failure. Yeah. If I don't perform, I mean, Tina, shortly before Zach's sister Amanda was born, 
we made the decision for her to get out of corporate America and raise the kids. So that was probably two years after we got going. I couldn't have made it if my wife hadn't been working the first two years. Mm-hmm. We needed that sustained cash flow. Once we got up and got going, then she was able to stay home and raise Zach and Amanda at home. But it was out of a fear of failure, probably more in the discipline of what athletics teach you that you don't win every game, you don't win every inning, you don't win every down. It's a long play, not a short play. Mm. I think that knowing how to get up and go to the gym even when you don't want to, and to do all the things off the field to enable you to have success on the field, I think all those analogies come into play, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, volleyball, fencing, Mm. gymnastics, whatever the sport may be, I just think and I've looked for those sorts of traits in the people I hire. Right. So I got a question. We have a, a time machine right now, and you could go back to day one. You inherited this your arts franchise. Is there two or three things that you would do differently that could have propelled you to five million plus quicker? But and what are those things? Well, coming out of corporate America and moving into what was called the Xerox Sales Agency Program, where you were basically a glorified district sales manager for Xerox Corp. All you had to do was sell and you made more commission than a local dealership would. But I soon figured out you drink the Kool-Aid, right? And then the thrill of selling big iron is still a thrill and the big commission check that you can make once. But I would have been much better off if I would have picked up Kiyosera Mita at the time. It was called Kiyosera offered me a dealership here which is is a copier brand. which is a copier brand and i would have been much better off if i would have jettisoned the shiny commission big commission hit and gone after in a business that created monthly annuity because what i've seen some a lot of my competitors do is they've used the copier business you're going to like this because i've noticed them do it And they've used that to create service and supply contracts, which produced monthly income. And as that compounds over the years, they're able to take that additional money and create. So now they have something that's creating revenue. They can pay their bills. They can pay their mortgage. And I've seen almost all of them, they're buying real estate, Mm -hmm. their own building. That's what we're doing now. Matter of fact, we've outgrown the building now that I'm in a, about three or four years ago, we switched to this model. Finally, I was kind of forced out by choice. I was able to make that wasn't forced out. I jumped on the opportunity to switch models and oh my gosh, it's like night and day mm-hmm. when we're in front of somebody in the five years into it. Now we've already outgrown. We moved from in Fayetteville, we were in a 4,000 square foot building. We moved to Lowell and we were in a 6,000 square foot building. And two months ago, I had to go rent 4,000 more square feet. And now I'm going to be looking to rent my building and probably build or create another 10 to 12,000 square foot facility for us. Mm-hmm. And I might go even go 20,000 and get a renter to kind of take that little triple net lease and do a triple net lease and, mm-hmm. and get that off. So I think if I could have done it over again, I would have jumped on the long-term play, having service, having supplies, having a finance company, as well as sales. Mm-hmm. And But 
to create just predictable monthly income. Yeah. You can do that with real estate. You can do it with copiers. You can do it with all kinds of different businesses. That's the Rich Dad Poor Dad author, Robert Kiyosaki. He has a quote. I had to Google it to make sure it was him. He says, the purpose of business is to buy real estate. And it's like every business yeah. ever is the, the end goal is to buy real estate. So I just think that's really yeah. That's and awesome. I think there's also that piece, like you said, of being able to diversify a little bit and not be so reliant on the sales that you bring in every year. I think that's what scares mm-hmm. some people in starting their business or buying real estate is that if this main thing doesn't work, I'm screwed. And so right. I think what you're saying is if you can build the main engine up with that mm-hmm. sales and then be able to use what you have there to build out, whether it's the rest of the business to create other recurring revenues, mm-hmm. or if there's, if you're doing real estate, rather than having one unit, you can have maybe a four unit deal or a 12 unit deal, or maybe an apartment complex to where you're not relying on one tenant, right? I think you can use some of these and transfer these over into other business models. But I think, would you say, I guess that's important that's, thing in longevity? In yeah, that's the path we're on. I mean, one I watched one of my competitors and I know for a fact, because he told me his real estate business is bigger than his copier business. Mm-hmm. Crazy. And I'm like, I mean, I so much respect for him on how he was able to use his Monday through Friday, eight to five trade to build this real estate empire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that energizes him and like any business owner, when you have security coming in, renting commercial space or even homes for that matter, you have other people who, who don't have capital who need to rent and have to rent, whether it be for short-term reasons or whatever they're paying off an asset too so not only even if it just cash flows yeah they're you're still building equity so i mean uh even if it just breaks even yeah even if it yeah. just breaks even i think it's a positive move to look to do that and now i'm looking to do that you know i think we're going to have to move out of this building we're in even though we've only been there two years and i'm going to find somebody to rent that building and then i'm going to go find another building to remodel or or build what I, I need to yeah. grow the business even further. That was a hot topic for Tori and I spent all yesterday looking at this other markets because we saved up some money and Tori, if it was up to Tori, she would have bought, Tori is my wife, would have bought four homes yesterday. Like she was like, she went and saw like four or five homes. She's like, I like all of them. Let's buy them all. I was like, how about no? Interest <laughs> rates just hit a year high, 7.5% yesterday. She's like, well, we can just take $20,000 and buy the rate down to 5%. I was like, I mean, we could do that, but it doesn't make any sense. We're in this stage right now with the economy of, she brought up some good points yesterday. I brought up some good points, which was, she was like, we're not going to be able to ever predict the economy. So like, let's just go buy two homes. And over the course of the years, we're going to be investing. It'll all even out. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And I'm kind of in this stuck state because like, I don't necessarily, I know the path that I I need to go real estate wise, but there's not like a dot on the board. I'm going after three bed, two baths under 278,500. And anything that fits that buy box that's above, that's built after 2010, that's like that, we're buying that. I don't know what the product is we're buying. And so Tori's is needing, where's this dot on the board? So like, let's just start buying stuff breaks even. I was like, babe, I don't like buying stuff. Just breaks even. The cash flow. She's like, well, do you think Northwest Arkansas will ever see cash flow again? 
Well, that's a good question. I think there's definitely going to be deals as a whole. Will Northwest Arkansas, like, unless rates fall, we will see cash flow as rents increase. Are the prices of homes going to increase at a rate that outpaces the rent growth? She brought up a great question, which I haven't thought of, was will Northwest Arkansas ever see decent cash flow ever again? And my initial thought is no. This is just a broad thought, but I may end up just buying for covering my mortgage, which I hate saying, and more of a, instead of a cash flow play, a, I know that I'm going to work my ass off for the next 20 to 30 years, and that income is going to support me. And by year 20 to 30, all these homes that I just bought will be paid off and they would have appreciated if I got tax benefits. So I'm kind of in this area right now, audience of I'm right there with you. I'm like, what do I do? I got the money saved up to buy homes. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Isaac's got something. Yeah. No, nope. weirdly had this conversation yesterday with my wife as well, just because we're buying a house for ourselves. And thank you. The only thing that really it's opposite of what real estate has been. The only thing that makes cash flow work is less leverage, like taking less debt on a property. Yeah. If you can put 50% down, technically it's going to cash flow, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. And so I own something for cash. It's going to cash flow. Our strategy going forward is just paying our debt down. But something I heard adds to your point is I think it was Brandon Turner's new podcast called Better Life, I think. But he said either him or the guy he was interviewing was my quote, my biggest fear isn't a market crash. I'd actually be very excited for a market crash. My biggest fear is that it keeps going up to a point where only the ultra wealthy can afford homes. And I thought that was pretty good. Not necessarily sure how we got there off of my dad's last point, <laughs> but I had that on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, that's a great point because everyone always pushes and these people you're listening to on these podcasts, us included, and Older people are like, go for cash flow, go for cash flow. And Tori, my wife was like, well, they bought real estate in a time where things cash flowed. She's like, the play going forward could potentially, she's like, I'm not saying this is right, but could potentially just be buying to break even for appreciation and for tax benefits. And so that you have properties when you're 45, 50 that are all paid off. She's like, if we bought, we basically, we took the back of a big poster board and drew this out. She actually did. Again, my wife pushing me. She said, if we bought 20 homes in the next four and a half years, which we calculated out is doable for us, we could buy 4550 would have about 450 to $550,000 of cash flow coming in when these homes are getting paid off. And so she's like, what a retirement plan. She's like, that's, in, that's today's rents. Today's rents, like in 20 or 30 years, these things are going to be way more than that. Of course, you know, as inflation goes, 408000 now is going to be worth a lot less than, but you know, it's probably going to even out, like let's say it's $600,000 of cash flow. Mm -hmm. What a retirement plan. You're saying that if I just keep buying homes, just keep using the money that's coming in to buy homes, buy 20, and just focus on paying those ones off, that's a great retirement plan. I mean, it's almost bulletproof mm -hmm. from... I mean, I say that. I mean, I'm sure Kyle Atkins could come on here and shoot some holes in that. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to comment. I'm not going <laughs> to. Real estate just gives you the ability to leverage into other things. If you wanted to 1031 it into a big commercial building or a big apartment complex, or if you wanted to, real estate just gives you opportunities and options. So, so it provides you with flexibility for your family that you guys don't have yet. Mm -hmm. One of my friends I know 
was able to go to school because his family had real estate and he ultimately, indirectly, if you will, had the financial security to become a fantastic doctor. I believe it's because of their security in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Where they had the, he didn't have to stay and work on the farm. He, he was able to discover a talent and became a leading orthopedic surgeon. So those are things that real estate can provide you also. But I think business, Rich Dad, Poor Dad author is Robert Kiyosaki. Buy real estate. It protects you. It keeps things going. Here's a question for you is audience members listening that are at your age, 45 to 60, why they can be asking themselves, why should I buy real estate? By the time these things are paid off, I might be. Well, first of all, 45 to 60, now that I'm in that range, not old. <laughs> well, uh, I'm talking like if you're six years old and you're buying something on a 30-year note, you're like, this thing's going to be paid off when we be 90 years old. It's a devil's advocate question. Why would you continue to buy? And you, you told me a quote once that I really like, shade tree one. You're planting. Yeah, I'm planting trees that I'm, I mean, your mom and I decided we're planting trees that we'll never enjoy the shade from. But you know, your mom and I decided we wanted to think generationally and not just about us, but about our future children and not to enable them, but to our future grandchildren, but not to enable them, but to empower them. And just like you and your sisters, we tried to launch you at a higher platform for success than where we started. So we've always had that mindset. Hmm. And that's something that I think real estate can help. I mean, there's a future grandchild out there that might be that future orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And do we have the financial capability to get that child in and through college so they can do that? with certain guidelines, obviously. So I think that needs to be highlighted again was you're 45 to 60, 70, you're planting the trees for the shade that you will never feel. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's like an all time that's quote a, right there. And it's a generational mindset. I mean, I mean, I'm 59 right now and I'm, yeah, my runway's a little shorter, but I, boys, I still got some game <laughs> and yeah. I don't feel the book I read. I've never seen the word retirement in it. The Holy Scriptures never talk about that. I have in my mind, I picture old Jewish men. They just keep working until the Lord takes them. Yeah. So I don't really anticipate retiring. Matter of fact, by the time this airs, Lord willing, I'm actually doubling the size of my company next Thursday when we sign papers and put a big down payment down on buying a business to expand my business even outside of Northwest Arkansas. Hmm. So... Now, I'm, instead of working from a sense of fear of failure, now that we have security in our monthly annuities through our contracts and we've got our commercial real estate side going, I'm now growing the business and I'm working on the business, not in the business. And that started about four or five years ago when I put something on the board that I called operationally irrelevant. How do I become an I put it on there and then my a lot of my key staff that have been with me for now more than 15 years, they saw that and they saw that that's what I wanted. So they started challenging me to, well, why are you doing that? Zach's older sister, Christina, came in and put the word truly. So we call it toy, T-O-I, <laughs> truly operationally irrelevant. Will you stop doing this stuff? And they bought off on it. And then we, I ran into Keith Trost, who's an EOS 
entrepreneurial operating systems summit trainer and he put in the infrastructure on for us to communicate internally and, and really grow mm -hmm. so there's been steps along the way and and now i'm constantly working on the business not in the business and i don't have to turn into a 300 pound toner fairy because Margaret or Bob at the church forgot to order their free toner. I've got people in place to take care of that, and I'm not running out there and doing that. And if we hadn't made those steps, I wouldn't be in no position to try to buy another company, double in size, and keep growing. It's basically the thing of compounded interest. So you worked for past when a lot of people failed. So like, let's say for 20 years, you're, you're sitting there packing this snowball and it feels like you're, it's, you finally threw it down the hill and it's like acquiring more snow. And so what a lot of people don't do is they don't sit there and make this snowball. I'm just trying to think of an analogy. Yeah. And you finally got to this point. It's like, okay, made this snowball, been working on the business for 26 years. Now we just doubled in size and it took 26 years to get to that point, Correct. which like, 0.001% of people will end up doing. But if you get to that point, it's just like if you're selling printers or real estate, like I've heard it all the time on bigger pockets. People go, I was buying single family home. It was 15 years. Then I decided to sell my whole single family portfolio and I bought a hundred unit apartment complex out of nowhere. And now I have $40,000 of cash flow a month when on my single families, I was getting like 7,000. Well, my business was more of a, I created a lifestyle business where I only made enough money to pay for the lifestyle I wanted and needed. So it was just survival. I wanted to get the kids through college with no debt. And we did that. Your younger sister graduates this December with three kids through college, no debt. We're able to get them all cars. We're able to buy a, a ranch out in East Fayetteville and, mm -hmm. and do some things. And we took our children on typically we were able, we had enough time and money to take a vacation every year. Uh, your mom and I didn't grow up that way. Mm -hmm. Just so you know. Oh, I know. Going to a steakhouse was okay. unheard of yes. back in the day. You know, steak and yeah. shake yeah. <laughs> was the steakhouse. Maybe if we got lucky. So I think keeping things simple, but having a bigger vision, like I was in the wrong business model. Mm -hmm. for most of my career as a Xerox sales agent. And I should have launched from Eastman Kodak career-wise into a Xerox sales agency, but I should have moved from being a Xerox sales agent to a, some sort of independent dealer like I am now sooner. Yeah. Matter of fact, now that I'm a f independent dealer, we carry Xerox on the top and two or three other brands on in the middle and on the bottom. I don't know how we won mm -hmm. <laughs> deals back in like, oh my God. But I also understand why we lost. Mm -hmm. So now we can come at you with, well, what do you need? What do you want? How do you want to do it? And if they qualify, I've even got my own finance company now. So that's, that's amazing. That's a whole different discussion and bank, but it's been a fun ride, but I think you got to keep things simple and I'm going to draw something here for you guys. One of the things when we made a big decision in the past was I got this diagram from a guy and you always got to keep business simple. And I think if I were in your shoes and in your position, I would draw these three circles where they all kind of intersect. 
and this is directly from Keith Trost, so I'm giving him all the credit here. The business is real simple. You have people that do the work, so those are technicians. This is a little out of order. You have people that get the work, that's sales. Mm-hmm. And then you have the people that basically get things paid or get you paid. Like I'm, I'm right upside down. Every business, you have to have sales. So you have to have people that go get the work. Mm-hmm. Then you have to have people that do the work. And then you got to have people that make sure everything cash flows. Sounds but like right here, all that. right here in the middle is your implementer. So the person that intersects with all three is that communicational to use, a, I'm going to date myself, to use a Star Trek, mm. uh, Captain Kirk at the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. You got to have somebody sitting in here that's getting all three of these circles to communicate. Yeah. And once you get that going, that's when you become, and now that we've got that going, now we're becoming a business that isn't just a lifestyle business, but it's a business that's going to double basically in size. And I put up a, a year and a half ago when we moved in, to our build when we moved into our new building two years ago in December a year and a half ago I put up a big sheet I'm big about visualization and goal setting one of the call those flip chart pads that have sticky notes on the back that I wanted to at a certain revenue with a 20% EBITDA by 1231 of 27 that now I started moving towards that subconsciously and we're going to basically hit that number and in less than two years awesome. wow. putting that up and i don't know how that happened what's ebitda ebitda wow. is earnings before interest taxes debt. and debt and appreciation ebitda so typically in our business in our business segment the value of your business is your ebitda times five or six so that you whatever your multiplier is you know, cause it's much better to have a profitable business than a big business. You know, I'd much rather make $2 million off of selling 5 million than sell 10 million and make the same 2 million. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. So you always ultimately have to be profitable. And we changed our comp plan. We don't pay off of revenue anymore. We pay off the GP or the gross margin. You have to go off the true profit. You can't pay. Because school deals, for example, are big half million dollars worth of copiers and transaction size, but it's low margin. If that's your whole portfolio, then you got all this revenue, but you don't have profit coming in to support Mm -hmm. it. So EBITDA is extremely important for you to understand. Yeah. As we wrap this up that I wanted to ask you, as you think about growing your business and you have this great opportunity, I saw a stat the other day that 60 to 70 percent of boomers are planning to retire in the next two to five years and really presents an opportunity for guys like ourselves young women young folks in general or or really anybody that look is looking to buy a small business out there seems like there will be some opportunity here in the next two to five years and so what kind of businesses maybe I, i know your expertise is what kind of businesses would you be looking at if you were our age or if you were, I mean, even now, maybe a small businesses out there that you could have an opportunity to. Well, the important thing that you want to do is there's some important terms I've learned that you want to keep that owner around for two or three years after you sell, mainly for social capital and for institutional memory. 
because mm-hmm. that's one of the bigger value. You can go out and find any business. You want to find a business that typically is at 15 to 20% EBITDA and a business that isn't declining. For example, I would not buy a copier dealership. And the only reason I'm buying this one out of outside of Northwest Arkansas is I know I can fix it. Yeah. They're your grandpa's copier company and we're not with our automation and all the things that we're doing. Even though I'm a, I've been in the imaging business for 35 years, we're kind of like a new dealership. We just became fully self-sufficient three or four years ago, mm-hmm. but I had a 30 year head start. Yeah, you know, running start into this. So I knew where all the bodies were buried. I knew what to do. And so we just got automated. So we're doing that. But I would look for a business that you like something that because I'm never I mean, a lot of baby boomers want to retire. I think that's the kiss of death. I think it's been created by our government to think that we're supposed to retire. Yeah. And I think well, what my age group is supposed to do is mentoring and giving our life lessons to the younger generation as fast as possible. Coming alongside. Coming alongside, not doing it, but just coming. There's uh, Rocky Fleming has a quote, experience Trump's theory every time. You kids can go to college and learn all kinds of stuff out of a textbook, but it's kind of like the old Rodney Dangerfield movie going back to school. I mean, you don't know how many times I've tipped, you know, you gotta come up with tip money for the garbage guy to take that extra pallet off your back. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you have to spend in business that you just don't realize how important social capital and institutional memory are. So I would find a business that you personally like that diversifies what you want to do. But I would make sure that that owner just doesn't hit the escape chute. You want to keep him around as kind of the Dave Thomas of the business. I mean, this business acquisition that we're doing is really on Christina. Mm -hmm. I go, this is going to be your mark on the company and I'm here to help you be successful Mm -hmm. as the president of TDS Mm -hmm. and David and John and are going to be a part of that in the future. So I'm here to bring up these folks underneath me. Yeah. That's awesome. And we're going to keep using the TDS IT machine for cash flow. And now that I've been exposed to what Zach's doing in real estate and what Tina's doing in real estate, we're going to use TDS as the cash flow machine to keep expanding our real estate portfolio. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what we're going to do. What a great way to end episode 18. Tim, my dad, thank you for coming on. We all really appreciate your time this morning, your life lessons. Uh, Is there anything ending you want to say before we wrap it up? Keep it simple. Don't overthink it just simple it's get work do work get paid and go hogs go (laughs) thank you guys for tuning in on this saturday july 8th we will see you on episode 19 Love love you guys love you guys